Pam Ochoa, I got a question for you today, and I want to know what was your first attempt or your most memorable attempt at using a class journal in the English classroom? What, what Could you recall what it was? Could you tell us about what was it like? Was it fun? Was it good? Did you give up? What, what are the deets about this journal that you used? Well, um, I was in high school. At, I was teaching high school, and uh, I wanted to do a journal system. I modeled it kind of after our uh, creative writing <laughs> I thought you were about to tell me a story about you being a student. Like, well, I had like a sparkly journal, and it was really pretty. <laughs> well, I, actually, <laughs> mine had a cat on it. <laughs> so... But I was actually in, in college where we had our college professor. He was all big into journal writing, and he did this where you would, you only would dog ear what you wanted him to read and grade. So I thought I'd give my hand at it. And uh, well, anyway, so I thought, well, that's what he did, and it worked. But, you know, I was thinking that it would work. But the problem is we were college students. Of course it's going to work. We paid money to be educated and we were going to get our grades. So of course it was going to work with us. These high school kids really didn't care. So uh, so I would say, you know, write about whatever you want and then dog ear. I think it was dog ear what you don't want me to read. And then the whole thing would come in dog eared. So then what, do I not read it? <laughs> do I read it? I was like, that was not right. Because whatever it was, I know what it, it was. Yeah, you dog ear what you didn't want to read. That's what it was. Because I thought, well, that would be, you know, and then if they wanted me to read it and all that stuff. But I was young and I didn't set up my parameters in such a way that uh, so the kids would turn in stuff. And technically, I wasn't allowed to read any of it. So it was very few kids, just a few that wanted me to read their writing would let me read it. And then it was like, well, what's the use in the journal? I didn't have a grading system in place. You know, I don't even know if they were writing. I, anyway, it was a disaster. Just fold everything. <laughs> You'd never know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and then there was another time I thought, well, okay, so now I need to be able to grade. So we're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, I'll grade like five out of the whatever, 10 days. So you need to pick the ones that you want me to grade and all of that. But then next thing you know, I was carrying home all these journals in my arms. And then, so then I got a suitcase. I mean, I was killing myself taking all of the journals and taking them home to grade them. And, and uh, so that was a disaster, not because I wasn't getting writing this time, but it was a disaster because who wanted to take all that home and grade it? I did not. So that was round two. So I don't know. It was really, really a difficult moment there. So I've had a lot of epic fails when it came you know, to journals. What? Well, you know what? I was going to respond to that, but I'll save that after the intro because, ladies okay. and gentlemen, we're going to talk about our craft book. We, we, as you know, craft and draft. If you're, if you're new here, welcome. But if you've been listening for a little bit, you know, craft and draft is. 
the journal system that Miss Ochoa and I developed when I was a literacy coach, she was an academic coach, and we we're trying to help teachers manage workshop with some type of system that would help guide the workshop, but not put it in a box. And Craft and Draft was kind of the the child that we had together with this, and it, it keeps evolving as we keep using it. And now there's multiple teachers using this system in our district, and we've done trainings on it. We've talked about it, and obviously it's a podcast now, and it's turning into a book. So we're really invested in this idea, but it's because I think uh, we've seen so much success with it. It's worked so well. So today we're talking all about the craft book. Next week, we're going to talk about the draft book. And then probably the week after that, maybe talk about how they intermarry. I don't know. We'll see depending on where these conversations go. We just kind of let us go with these talks sometimes and see where they go. But we're going to stay in the craft book on this one. And, uh, see what goes down. But welcome to the Craft and Draft podcast. We are two teachers in Texas teaching face-to-face, online, hybrid. We're doing it all and we're making it happen in workshops. So if you want some of that, if you want some ideas for a journal system that we think is absolutely powerful, stick around. Hopefully this advice and this kind of guidance will serve you the way it needs to. All right. So back to what I was going to say, which is... (laughs) Do you remember we did a training back before we even had the name Craft and Draft? We we had uh, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the POJ, <laughs> the POJC, which is what we called the yeah, training. The we that's what well, it's what I called it because I, I was like, hey, let's call it this, and you're like, sure, let's call it that. We we that was the name of our session, and people. Uh, showed up and they're like, oh, it sounds like a prison name, which I didn't think about. <laughs> it was just after our initials too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just Pam Ochoa, Jacob Chastain. That's why I was like, oh, the POJC system. That makes so much sense. And you didn't even realize that until after. No, I didn't realize that it was our initials until. Oh, hello. That's and that kind of how I roll. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny, but we know what we had people show up to the training. We, that was kind of our first look and it was really like our really first unveiling of kind of what we've been working on and talking about, like I, we brought in some success stories. We brought in some student work. We showed what real journals look like, not just our idealized version of craft book and draft book. And, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that stood out to me and which kind of made me ask that question at the beginning of this was the one thing teachers kept saying in that training was, they hated journal systems. Like they hated journals. They hated notebooks. They hated all those things because they never worked. Right. It was always mm-hmm. one. It's one of those things that looks really great and it looks great on Pinterest and Instagram and all these other places. And you can make them look really pretty, but like overall, like in practice, like journal systems almost always suck, which I'm glad that we decided to make a business surrounded around um, a journal system because we we already have a huge uphill battle um, when it comes to doing this. But I think that's why what we've done with Craft and Draft is so unique is I think that, you know, the fact that so many teachers use it in the district, like we're not two of the, the, the biggest people in the district. Like we've just kind of shown this to teachers and say, hey, this is what we're doing try it out, you know, whatever. And then like, it's, it's so cool to see other people do it, but I think it has legs on it because we, I think, cause we have hated journals just as much as every other teacher. Like, I think that's why <laughs> it kind of works. Like, cause just like your experience though, like I think my first journal system, it was, 
I mean, it was just a journal, right? There was no rhyme or reason. It was like, okay, uh, turn to the next page. We're going to do right. this on there. Or they just use it for writing. And and one thing, like, I don't know. Like, why do you think journal systems are so hard to get right? Or not even systems, but just journals. Like, what is so difficult about having these in the classroom? Like, what what... Because it seems simple, right? Just have a journal and put student work in there, but it's it doesn't work out like that. Well, I think it's I think it's having a clear intent as to why you're using it. And uh, I think sometimes like when I got started, I just did it because I mean there was I didn't read a book about it. This is just what that one teacher did. So I tried to implement what I could remember. Uh, but I think too, you got to look at why do we write in journals? Um, there's different purposes for different journals, okay? And so, like, a diary is definitely not a journal, but it is a type of journal, but it's very personal. And I think sometimes if, and it's not meant to be, it's meant to be for yourself, not necessarily outside of yourself. Um, And I think sometimes we present it in a way that it seems personal. I think that was my mistake is I wanted the kids to write personally. I want them to write deeply about things that they cared about, but I was asking them to do that in an atmosphere that's not naturally that way. In other words, the atmosphere of the classroom, if you're going to, it's you're, if you're going to write something very intimate, then I probably don't need to be reading it in the classroom if it's too intimate. Does that make sense? That's yeah. written like a diary. And so so kids either, A, they don't want you reading their stuff because of that. Um, and so I think you have to present your journal. You have to be very clear about your purpose for your journal. And the kids have to be very clear about the purpose of that journal. And then you got to stick with it. You the know. sticking with it part is hard. That's the hard. Well, because like, like, they start looking bad. Kids don't have them. You know, that was the big battle. You remember like in the beginning when we were kind of talking about this, you and I were kind of like, well, we're going to have the kids have them. They're they're going to keep them and then a lot a lot of big pushback or teachers were just like, no, kids won't kids won't ever be able to keep track of these. So we need to have crates and then okay, so now we're going to store them and right. That's been, that's been, that was probably one of my biggest things. As I told you, I was taking them all home and then, and then like I would put them in crates, you know, because we can't lose them. They have to be there for me to grade when I need to grade them. But then I would get a parent phone call. Joey let Sally see his journal and he wasn't supposed to see the journal. And why does Sally mess up with Joey's journal? And then next thing I know, I've got, I've got issues that way because that's, classroom would get up and they would go and get the journals, but then they would mess with each other's. So, um, yeah, I've tried all of those things. I've tried crates. I've tried taking them home. I've tried and, um, you know, where they carry them with them all the time. And, uh, and here's the thing that I learned. If what they are writing in those journals are important and you use them in a relative way, where the students see that they're going to be used in a relative way, they will be more apt to keep them. So you almost have to, you have to do it daily for it to be effective. 100%. I've had students, I had a student last year who 
So this is about the draft book, but she had lost her draft book and she was, it was lunch. She couldn't enjoy her food. She couldn't, she was bawling. She had lost oh. all this writing that she did. <laughs> and it was, we ended up finding it. So there was a happy ending, but it was a moment where I was like, oh, like, I mean, how, how often do kids actually like have an emotional reaction to not having something for school? You know what I mean? Like something mm-hmm. like, and it wasn't even like a star student. It was, it was, it was her writing. It wasn't something that she was going to get punished for because it was like a test review or something like that. It was her stuff, her writing and all of that other, like it was, I would, that was like one of the first moments where I realized that what we designed is, is, is a, is a good structure to give kids freedom because they start owning kind of every piece to it. I think the draft book a little bit more just because of what it is, but even craft books, I think um, the way we're using them really does open up students to, uh, I mean, it's the, it's the buzzword, right? Give students owning or ownership of their own learning. Like that is, that's kind of like mm-hmm. what these journals are. I think that's why kids enjoy them and why they're we're able to stick with them because it is a daily thing. Kids interact with craft and draft every single day. Right. Uh, I think that makes a difference. You know, you tell me only in English classroom, but I actually mm-hmm. learned how to use the journal system in my geography classroom. That's probably the best place. I, I taught geography and English together as a block class. So in, to ninth graders, to freshmen. And uh, so I had to have a place for them to learn about the countries and about geography and all of those things. So I had, I had to have them a place, but then I also wanted them to write about it. So uh, I think I learned how to use, and, and I would uh, use the journal system like we do the craft book, probably in the geography classroom. Uh, kind of at that time, I had taken uh, social studies alive, and they used that. That was when the interactive notebook came out. And so using that kind of an idea, that kind of helped me, uh, framework, you know, a place for them to keep their notes, a place for them to keep everything that we've done all year. And it saved me and it has saved them. When uh, people have asked me, so what are y'all doing in that classroom? It seems like they're having too much fun. Then I could just pull a journal. Of course, uh, I could ask a kid, can I see your journal? And then uh, I would hold on to that journal. I could go show anybody what we were doing and everything we were doing was in that journal. Uh, saved me a few times when people were questioning what I was doing because it wasn't in my words. It wasn't in my handwriting. It was in the kids' handwriting and you could see all the learning that was going on. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why I was sold on always keeping a journal system no matter what. Well, and that right there, right, that is one of the pillars of – of of craft and draft is, you know, we, along with kind of helping teachers kind of get guided through workshop in a way that kind of just walks you through each step ish. Right. Mm-hmm. It was also a way of, Hey, we have, well, I've thought, I've talked about this on the podcast before. Like I struggled with getting kids like showing why independent reading was good or what, what kids were doing during independent reading time. And that, um, being able to have that journal system where kids can write about their independent reading, they can write about their 
uh, reflections. They can do all of that and then have an admin coming in, let alone me, right? But like just for people that come in and don't understand kind of what workshop is, they can come in and be like, hey, look at their journal and they can see all of the thinking and all the work happening in workshop. And I think that is a key piece to why we kind of designed these things this way, because it was a lot of what happens in workshop isn't tangible, right? It's not everything. Like if, for instance, like a kid could spend 30 minutes thinking about a piece that they want to write, but that doesn't necessarily translate into something that's a product, a question answered, something that people love to put on walls and say, my kid's great and get data from workshop is a little bit more nuanced than that. And that's incredibly difficult to represent in a traditional classroom. And I think what we've done with this is, is allow teachers to, to kind of take a breath and go, Hey, you know what, all that work that you're struggling to show it's here now. And as long as you can kind of set this foundation and keep it going, you're going to have evidence for this authentic workshop that you're doing. And you don't have to constantly go, okay, well, I'm going to do workshop here, but now I'm going to give them a worksheet. That way I can have something to show to my admin and appraisers, right? Like right. this this is the, the chains being lifted um, in, in a lot of different ways. I don't know. I, I, and I still feel that like I've walked into classrooms, not even at my campus, but like we did walks for a, a, a different school and I didn't even know this teacher used craft and draft, had no idea, walked in and he was killing it. And the kids go, you know, they're talking about their journals and all this other stuff. And my principal, my principal didn't even know I did this in my classroom. This was like early on last year with the new principal and everything. So we were walking and she goes, Hey, could you explain these journal systems? And I was like, sweet. And I just like went and sat next to her. And this little girl was explaining the craft book and the draft book, and it was perfect and it was awesome. And it was just like this weird moment of, holy crap, like it really does work in such a solid way. And and kids can, it gives them a way to see their thinking kind of laid out in a systematic approach. And I don't know, it was, it was transformative. That, that was like really when I went back to you and I was like, all right. We, we, we got to, yeah, we got to take this somewhere else. Like this is something that can help a lot of right. people. So, well, you know, my dad is a te- you know, my parents are teachers mm-hmm. and, uh, my dad in his last, um, he, he'd already retired, but then he went and worked in a private school mm-hmm. and they gave him, um, a subject to teach. I think it was history and he was a math teacher and he's like, Pam, I don't know what to do. So he was probably my first, uh, you know, where I sat down and actually coached my dad on how to do this. And I said, well, you got to have this uh, journal system, dad. And if you have this journal system, you know, and so we created a journal system for him at that time. And it was very similar to how we've done our, the craft book. Cause you Mm -hmm. know, when we started talking about it and that was where some of my experiences came from. Anyway, to this day, he'll go, well, I can teach just about anything. Pam, she showed me how to to do this journal system it the it teaches the kids itself so it was kind of neat he he taught his whole class using this journal system and when it was all over they actually became learners and he just kind of just told them what to learn about you know I mean not told them what to learn about but gave them opportunities to learn and then he used the journal system to uh, show their learning so it was kind of a neat thing back then so I knew then that uh, using these journals can be translated Yeah. So let's, so there's a good kind of like overview for people. And I wanted to, we've had people ask, 
just to like, what, what's the journal system? And, you know, we're writing the book and we're doing all this other stuff, but it's also like, you know, there's stuff that in just us talking about it that I think people can take away from and start applying. Um, and I think it'd be really cool if people were able to kind of, um, have, we can reference this episode over and over again for people like when we were like, okay, so we set the lesson up this way in the craft book. And if you don't remember the craft book, go back and listen to, you know, this episode. And that way people can kind of go back and it'll be a constant okay. point of reference for some of the things we talk about. So, uh, stage one, you know, I think it's important for us to say that like, this was, you know, we're standards based teachers. It's the way our district is. It's the way Texas is. Like we teach everything, you know, to the standard and uh, what we teach comes from that basic point. And, you know, in our district, they had us forever write the standard like on the board, right? They still do, but like, they're like, you know, Mm -hmm. you need to have the standard on the board. And when they walk in, you see every district administrators go wonk right to the board, look for the standard. I've been, I've talked about these walks. We did walks a few weeks ago in the district official. Guess what she did when she walked in, she goes, well, where's the standard in every single classroom. So we, it, it still exists. And for us, we were like, okay, cool. We can work with that. Like we're not anti that it's good practice, but how could we make this more applicable rather than just putting on the wall? What if kids wrote that standard literally at the top of the page on a craft book page, right? So they open their craft book, boom, page five, they put the standard up top and they write it. Now I have a question because we haven't, um, I know we alter stuff as we go and we're still fine tuning some of these elements. Do you have them write the full standard still? Uh, I I did. I think uh, with recently, I've struggled a little bit with it because, as I I think I shared earlier, working with the team. Sometimes what we do is because on our Canvas lessons, everything has to be identical. So I don't not. So what we end up doing is we have split our role. So like this week, I'll work on something, and then the next week, somebody else will create that lesson. So sometimes it kind of falls a little bit when somebody else writes the lesson and if I don't get in there and change it. So sometimes, but yeah, for the most part, we always, I always write the number and then at least we'll summarize it for them. So I try to write most of it on the board or have it where they can, they write Mm -hmm. it. But every once in a while, when when I do just with the canvas and I put the canvas on the wall, I'll look up there and go, oops, it just has the number. (laughs) (laughs) So then I have to, okay, write the number. We'll come back and get it. So, yeah, I mean, I try to. Well, and that's that's a good point, I think, to for people to think about. Anytime they're implementing stuff, at least from us, right? If they're they're taking our advice, our approach, or anything like that, like – it's going to look different based on your needs, especially this year. I mean, for the love of God, especially this year, like there's all kinds of things going on. And, um, I think it's impossible to hit everything you're trying to hit within COVID era teaching, but we, there are choices that you can make and just alter a little bit like you altering that because of just the requirements that you have to kind of be more in line with your people is different than me where I'm not really required to be in line at all, except for just be kind of being in the same unit. Right. Other than that, I kind of don't have restrictions. So when you open to a craft book page in the craft book, uh, in my room, for instance, it would always be the page numbers are numbered because there's a Table of contents at the front. There is the page number in the top right corner. And then on the right side, always the right, and we're going to get to why that is in just a second. um, Always on that side, the mini lessons at the top. 
the mini lesson 22, and let's say we're doing inferencing standards. So 5F, students can infer, blah, 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 right? Whatever the standard is. They write that down. And even if I do that for multiple days, I have my students write it down. Every mini lesson I do, I have students write down the full standard because uh, it serves a couple purposes. One, it allows us to, if it's a new standard, it's obvious. You write it down so we can address any Mm -hmm. academic language. We can define some of the language in there so kids can actually understand um, uh, what's happening in there. And then... That's great, by the way. This is perfect for, like, if you're ever being observed, like, <laughs> being able to break this down and have students do that in their journals and go through that and have that vote, that word work, right? We've talked about authentic word work. Using that standard for authentic word work is an amazing move. It's good teaching, but it also just looks good for teachers. So pro tip for anyone out there wanting to do something <laughs> like that. But um, so we'll go through the standard. But it, let's say it's a, it's a standard we've hit already. That means we get to spend some time calling back to the last time we did that, calling back to, I mean, we do inferencing all the time, so that one's a little looser, but if we're doing theme, for instance, and we and we talked on theme in fiction, then we're talking theme in poetry, I can then call back to that during just that simple process of talking about the standard. So it becomes less of, okay, kids, write this down, now we're moving on. It becomes a pause moment just for me and everyone else to be like, all right, so we're going to... So we're going to talk about theme. Oh, we, I think we've hit on this standard before. And then we can call back to that and, you know, bring in that whole like circular approach to kind of everything. Now, I'm curious to, for you, when you're breaking down a standard at this this very early stage, this kind of step one, um, do you have, do you give direct definitions for keywords such as like, like let's pick analyze for instance, like would you give them the dictionary definition or would y'all work out kind of a, a class definition with your guidance to make sure that it was kind of in line? Would you, which, which approach do you go with to, to have them understand some of those words? Well, I would, I would have them come up with a class one. In other words, the way, the way it would sound like if I were doing this is, you know, analyze the text for literary devices. I don't know what the, I just threw that in there just now. And I'd say, all right, class, so what does analyze mean? Real quickly write that down. You know, of course, they'd have to copy it, and that's okay. Circle the word analyze. Now talk with your partner about what that means. All right, now tell me, what do y'all think it means? And then that's when I would guide them. And then I'd say, okay, what are literary devices? What does that mean? Let's look at literary. So I would actually talk about each one of those things so that they would know. I'd have them circle the keywords. We do that when we first get started. So we interact with the standard that way. But that way, and I tell the students, this is what I am supposed to teach you. This is what the state of Texas says we have to learn. And these are the words that I've been given. So I want you to to know. So they've gotten where they're pretty used to doing that, except for on those days where I just have like five F. But it's also gotten where some of them are like, oh, yeah, that, that I know what that is because we've already, and they could go back and we'd already addressed some of those standards. For sure. I mean, but, the kids definitely start interacting a little more mm-hmm. when you, I mean, anytime you do anything more, kids are going to start mm-hmm realizing it right but that that's interesting because I do the same thing I do I rarely give kind of a dictionary definition of something it's usually you know we kind of work it out we come up with a way to kind of say it and I think it really connects mm-hmm. them more to the standards a little bit they remember it better but um 
from there though, right? So mini lesson at top standard. And then below that, and I think I do this a little bit more than you, but it's still the same concept in that middle section is where your lesson goes. And the beautiful part about this is regardless of how you decide to use this, and I've seen it used from the multitude of teachers that have done this system, it looks different. It looks different online. It looks different in a variety of places, but the core concept is the same, which is that middle section under the standard is this lesson. And now it really, for someone like me, who's verbose and loves to talk and hear my voice and do all that other stuff, this limits my ability to do that because my lesson has to fit roughly on that page, right? That's the goal is to create almost like this one pager of a lesson that can be referenced. It can look back on all this other stuff. So I go the extra step. And if we're reading a piece, let's say we pick something from the quick rights book, shout out Linda Reef. We make a copy of that one-page passage or a poem or whatever, the paragraph, whatever we're looking at. I minimize it. I, I shrink it by to about 80% of its size. I hand out those small pieces to the kids. They glue them into their journal, and now they have the anchor text, the model text, the mentor text in their journal. That way they can constantly reference it. That way if they love it, guess what? Now they have it forever. If they want to use it to steal a line or borrow a line or use the structure or anything like that, or mm-hmm. it's something for us to kind of go back into if I need to reteach something. If a kid comes to tutorials like, hey, I really don't understand setting. I'm like, sweet. Open to, open to mini lesson 33 where we went over that. Now let's read this again and kind of go through that. And it is, I mean, that's one of like the biggest things like I discovered that just, it just keeps working for me. And I just... Because we annotate all around the piece, we do their notes, we define stuff, we put our thinking around there, um, and it's and that's usually like we talked about the the TDQ stuff on the other podcast the other day. That was the like uh, sometimes like if you if I'm doing a more question heavy passage read, it usually happens when we're closer to the test, for instance. Um, I might do the four questions I want to do and we just answer them right on side of this text. So now kids have this annotated text in their journal. That's just not going to go away unless it falls out, which does happen sometimes, but you know, it's just a, it's a boom, but I've seen people use that section in, in vastly different ways. And I know you don't minimize your stuff all the time. So how do you usually, what's under your standard in your mini lesson area? What does that look like kind of in a nutshell? Well, my, don't and I like I've seen you do the minimizing. Mm-hmm. I just I think I just don't plan ahead well enough to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like it. Uh, I like to do that with poems and stuff. I've done that with some poems, and then they put it in there. And then uh, when I did try, because after I saw you doing that, um, I did have some students tell me how that was really helpful. So that that was good. But typically, when I'm not doing that, what that area right there will look almost like Cornell notes. So that way I'm, I'm hitting that, that little stone as well. And so my mini lesson will be, you know, well, like the Cornell notes. So I'll kind of set it up where they had the questions and all that. So that might be right there. So it's all about their notes and uh, what they're, what they're learning from me at that time. If it is grammar that I'm teaching during that time, which I teach, I do directly teach grammar at times. I don't do it all the time. I won't do it until, you know, after we get to a certain element, a certain place in our writing. But if let's say I'm, I'm teaching them, um, 
subject verb agreement, then they will have notes and they'll have like model uh, sentences and stuff from me or sentences that they go find. They'll put in that little uh, section. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing like that is um, that, that's what I'll do too. So if we have like a, like sentence combining, right? I love sentence combining. You kind of mm-hmm. turned me on to uh, showing um, ha- how to increase complexity and, and all of that through sentence combining. And I've used it ever since. But like if I'm doing something like that, a lot of the times I'll pre-make some of that stuff. Like if we're working on creating complex sentences, for instance, I'll kind of pre-make that in a PowerPoint, for instance. But kids will be following along and doing it in their craft book. So let's say we do five of these, um, kids will be kind of able to do that. If we're doing, um, a video where I want kids thinking about kind of the theme of something like that, then that's where they'll be writing. So that middle section, it really is just, I mean, it's a, it's, it's so cool to me because it's like, Oh, if I can get my, if I can make my mini lesson so concise and so focused into standard definitions, student learning, and then at the bottom, uh, some type of reflection piece or debrief before that. Mm-hmm. That's my mini lesson structure right there, right? It's your well, right. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm sorry when you when you said your summary at the bottom. Well, that's really what Cornell on the Cornell notes thing. Yeah, that's why I said it looks like Cornell notes because my debrief and all that's down there at the bottom. Anyway, go ahead. Well, and I I think that is I mean right there. If you can hit your standard, your purpose for learning, you can do word work, you can do a piece or whatever action that you have kids doing during your mini lesson for that 10 minutes, and then you do a debrief and share, that's your mini lesson, guys. Like this isn't, it's not rocket science, but following that and thinking about it from a one page perspective, like I've had a lot of kids, a lot of kids, I've had a lot of teachers talk about like they're struggling to get their mini lesson like to a, a certain length. I think if you limit yourself for the most part to that one page, if you can't fit it on the page, it probably doesn't belong in your lesson. Now, if kids, so sometimes it does bleed over to the left page, but that's when my students are writing too much. Like if they're just like, like if I make them mad in a mini lesson or something like that, they want to reflect (laughs) on like the piece or whatever. Sometimes it does extend that way. But for the most part, my teaching portion is a one pager for all. And that's what my lessons look like. When I plan my lesson, I actually write it out in craft book format. Do you do that? I'm really curious. I'm putting you on the spot on this one, but I doubt you do because you've been teaching so long. You're just like, boom, I'm just going to go with it. But I will tell you that I do have it where it's just in my head, which is not helpful when I try to help people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well, I got, hang on. It's not in any file. It's all up here. I got to go and write it down real quick. No, I have, I have my own, I created my own system, not my own system, but my own books. And so I use those as models underneath my document camera. So I actually write it all out for the students, yes. uh, especially when I'm in my game. You know, sometimes I go along, I'm not really on my game. So I have a tendency, I'm one of those that I'll mess up my own system way before anybody else will, because <laughs> I'll forget what it was I was supposed to do, because I chose not to do it right. No, I, I do. I, I keep my own. That's really, but I like your, I like what you had to say about keeping everything. If you can keep it within that page, then you keep it to a mini lesson. And if it, if it goes outside that page, that means you're either going to have a maxi lesson, so to speak, or you need to break that lesson into two pieces. And so you got to figure out how to break it up. 
But I think the the more simple that you can make it for yourself, the easier it is going to be for the kids. Yep. But I do have a craft book and a draft book. And on Canva, uh, on the canvas, I created uh, videos where I actually show the kids. This is goes on this page. This is what it looks like. And I actually use my book to model for the kids so that they know they have a clear vision of what I have for them. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we've talked about modeling a lot on the podcast already, but I definitely, everything they write, I write. So, uh, I write the standard down. I I usually have the standard up when they walk in just because it gives them something to do when they get in the classroom. Um, but once they have that written down, I'm writing everything with them. Now I usually have, uh, kind of like my planned, mini lesson off to the side that I kind of look out for. Um, but even then, like I've sometimes like I've gotten so used to the system and, uh, so used to asking certain types of questions. Like I don't need to plan out every line, uh, that I say or anything like that, but I think people can, like I definitely, when I've helped teachers kind of jump into this, um, if they're new, uh, I think it's really helpful to like, just take a lesson, your lesson idea. Let's say you're going to teach a poem, right? What does that look like? You have your poem, do the mini lesson number at the top, do your standard, put that poem down there. And now what questions are you going to ask? How are they going to respond? And can you like plan for that just in this little area and then plan a debrief at the bottom and then see where you go? Like if you can do that, I think you are... Uh, in, in a good spot workshop wise, and then mm-hmm. it can it gives you it gives you just an outline, and then if really you're really cooking if you can share that with like a team member and be like, hey, here's this lesson I drew up, and it's just this one page, and you're like, boom, 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 these are the questions I'm gonna ask. Here's this, and then you guys, if you're if you're comfortable with your team, you can go, oh, that's not a good question. Let's ask this question instead, or whatever. And because you're pre-planning, what you're doing is you're pre-planning your teaching points to the reading side. Now, I guess that is something that we should say here is the craft book. Yeah. While it is, it can be both. Um, it's, it's whatever your mini lessons focused on. Cause we talked about if we're doing grammar work, you can do that in the craft book. The craft book is just the study of the craft, both as a writer and as a reader. So it's part of the conversation you have when you're planning. This is, are we looking at this as a reader today or a writer today? Right. And then right. once you've made that decision, if you're looking at a reader, guess what? You're asking reading questions. You're asking, how do you reflect on this? How do you know this? Can you infer this? Can you do that? If you're doing a reader, it's how did the author do that? How did the author do this? Why did the, why might an author use a sentence like this? And so you get, it just creates really good conversation either for yourself, if you're alone or for you and your partners. And I think it's just a, it's a, it's a good structure to kind of go into anything else on this right side of the page that you want to add to before we jump to the left? Well, I I was thinking that just to be clear about the craft book to Mm. me, it's like you said, it's, it's all about learning the craft of reading and writing. And so anything that's going to help that student better their craft, that's what goes in this craft book. So that's kind of how I look at it. So that's why there's reading and that's why there's grammar. That's why there's lessons. I've got uh, figurative language, you know, type of lessons uh, in there. I've got uh, all different kinds of, of uh, lessons, but that's what's there. It's like all of their notes, anything that I teach the students so that the students can use it as a reference 
that's kind of how I use the craft book. Yeah. Well, and that's, I, I, once you have that mindset, I think it really does kind of open up. So this left side though, people might be like, why on earth? Are you putting everything on the right side? And we do. We put everything on the right side. And yep. the, there was a couple of reasons for that, but mainly it's because there's another piece of it because it's just the mini lesson part, right? If we're talking workshop, the mini lesson is only 15, maybe max 20 minutes of your time during workshop. Mm-hmm. You have a whole reading half to kind of think about, and that is what that left side is for predominantly, it can take many forms. Once again, this is not a lockstep program of any sort. It's more of a structure to kind of guide. But when I want you to kind of start this one off, when you're thinking about your left side, what do you primarily use it for in your classroom? Well, what I do on the left side is at the top of the left side, I have the kids look over their goals, uh, not over their goals. They, they look over on the right side uh, with the standard. And then from there, they write down, I'm supposed to be able to do this when this is over. So it's more like their goal for that day. Like, how, how is it that she just taught me this? How am I, what am I supposed to do with it as a learner? So I start off with the goal. So it might be a reading goal or a writing goal. And they have to, um, we, we almost have the same one, especially at the beginning of the year. And then they start, that starts changing. But for the most part, that's what they write. And then from there, they actually do, if you will, the guided practice or the independent practice. So that's where they actually do the practice based on what I want them to learn on the notebook. So like when you're talking about uh, maybe something for, like I, I mentioned figurative language, okay? So I've taught them all what figurative language is. Now I want them to go into, let's say, the book that they're reading their independent reading book, and they go through and they find examples of figurative language. Then they might write those examples on that left side after they, so I'm going to be able to identify whatever that goal is, be able to identify, apply, and use, be able to interpret, whatever that goal is, that's what I have them do on that left side. But that's where they actually do the student work, uh, and that's where I come in and check to see if they know how to do what it is I want them to do. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's the independent practice, right? It's uh-huh. them like for mine takes a couple different forms. If we're doing uh fiction, it really works, but my, uh, having kids. So, you know, like you said, if we're doing figurative language, their goal that week might be to really analyze some figurative language and what they're reading. And that keeps them constantly thinking about the standard that we're doing the lesson, applying it to what they're reading. And this is part of the what this was for us is it's the bridge. It's the bridge between the lesson and the independent practice because I felt like when I was having my kids read, it was I knew it was good, but it wasn't connecting to the lesson. We weren't fully applying uh, everything I was doing. So it was more like reading was its own section and then teaching was its own section. And then like I've talked about before, I used to have like another third, a a third section of like doing a worksheet or whatever. So this became, Oh, now they're doing the work of implementing the lesson, whatever that is, you know, and that can, you know, if you're talking about theme, if you're talking about structure, if you're talking about grammar, if you're talking about great sentences, if you're talking about complex sentences and kids are reading, I wouldn't, I've, I used to be like, okay, try to find a complex sentence today. Like that 
I've kind of stepped away from, and it's been more about, well, it is hard because they might not come across one. And I think it, Mm -hmm. it, it tunnel visions them too much in their reading. But if you make Mm -hmm. a weekly, like a, a week thing of notice how, notice how the author that you're reading might combine certain sentences or how they're linking sentences together or thoughts together. Like if that's your goal for the week, I think it opens up a lot of freedom into their independent reading. Um, and it becomes less, I tell you to do something. And a lot of that came from like when I had Kelly Gallagher on the podcast and I asked him what he felt about like daily goal setting based on this or whatever, you know, he, he kind of warned against having a constant drum of, okay, we learned this now go see this. Now we learn this now go see this. Well, that's true. It's a good point. Well, and it's, I think it's, uh, it's all, it's also a scary one, right? Cause it's, it's scary to, you know, Ralph Fletcher in his book writing workshop, he talks about how like your mini lesson might not show up in student writing or student reading that day. It might not show up next week and you have to trust the process of teaching kids and like you might talk about complex sentences and they might not use one for a week. Oh my God. But like, you know, it's like, it's like you, it, it's the, it's the process. Cause you might, you're going to talk about it again. Everything in English gets repeated 4,000 times anyway. So you, you're going to talk about it again and you're going to be able to push. And because you're conferring with kids, you're going to be able to reference these mini lessons and, and eventually drive kids to that because just because they're not using it doesn't mean they don't want to. It's just because sometimes it's not applicable to what they're trying to do. Just be like, if a kid, like, man, if I was a kid and I was like in knee deep in a fantasy book, for instance, and like all I wanted to do was find out what's happening to this character in this chapter. And I just opened my book instantly. The moment independent reading starts, the last thing I'm going to care about is finding the complex sentence. Yeah. Like (laughs) the complex sentence. Yeah. Like I'm not going to care. And, and if we're talking authenticity, which is like kind of the drum that we beat all the time, it's, it's the, it's the, the balancing act, right? You, you have Mm -hmm. to teach this and you want kids to notice it and do all that stuff. But at the same time, if a reader is enjoying their book, I'm not going to get bent over them not writing down what we were looking for that day. I might challenge them in a different way where I might check with them in a conference like, oh, they didn't get it down on their left side today. Let's talk with them and see if they got it. If they got it, then I don't care. We're moving on. Like I'm not, it is not mm-hmm. a lockstep thing. And I think that is, uh, you know, in our book and the way we talk, like, I don't think, I don't know, man. I think the it's 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 having structure, but also the freedom to break structure when it makes sense. And I think that's such a delicate line to balance, but I think it, it, that's what we have to think about it as. Well, and I think you can use that left side. That's really where the, the student does the thinking. Um, you know, sometimes you just want them to reflect on, like, I can see where you would have your miniature piece that they have done. You've, you've put it into the, the book and and on the right side, and then now you just might want them to respond to it. They could respond on that left side. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that the left side is where they they actually just do the work of whatever it is you want them to do or whatever they've decided to do. Because what I think ideally, if they could set their own goals, you know, and which is if you're really doing workshop, every student, I think Nancy Atwell did – um, status of the class because every student will be doing something uh, just a little bit different based on what it is they need to work on. Um, and to me, that is probably, I think, some of the hardest t- 
to get to. I've seen you get there where the students are all working on their own pieces based on on that. And I think sometimes with constraints, we find it hard to get there where they're all working on whatever and the work that's being done is really truly authentic work. And so I think that left side would definitely be open. Sometimes my left side is open. And they're like, why is it still open? I said, well, it'll be open when you get to this part. So then they'd have to go back in and put something in there. Well, and that is, I I will say that is definitely like, you'll know your workshop's cooking when you can have it really open almost 100% of the time. And it's, I, I pull back too. There's times when my workshop is fully open and it's every kid's working on something else and all that. And then there's times where, you know, kids are finishing pieces at the end of a six weeks. We're start like when we come back, for instance, from Christmas break, like I'm going to, it's going to be a more tighter approach because like kids have moved schedules, like things have changed, like there's all kinds right. of stuff going on. So it's going to be a little bit more tighter and then we'll open back up. But that, you know, that the looking at it as the right side is kind of the mini lesson. The left side is the independent work, you know, having kids, I, uh, this year I've stepped back from goal setting because a lot of the kids I had this year had me. So they set their own goals already. That was already built in. But, but last year, every day after the mini lesson, I would go, all right, I want to hear four great reading goals today. And at first those reading goals were very tied to the mini lesson, right? It was, oh, I'm going to look for figurative language. I'm going to look for theme. I'm Mm going to infer, Um, and then as we learned what good thinkers do, what good readers do, it became, I'm going to notice how my author uses language to bring out emotion and I'm gonna do this. And kids started having uh, these really various goals. And, and I mean, and like some of them that they were starting a new book, their reading goal for that day, which they put on the left side was, you know what? I'm going to read 10 pages today because I didn't read any over the weekend and I need to make some progress in my book. And I think like these goals are not just pure academic goals. It's also like, what do good readers do? Like looking Mm -hmm. at figurative language, I think good readers do study language. Like I don't, I know not every reader sits there and like when they're reading at night in bed or whatever, they're analyzing the language of their piece. But I think good readers do notice good language and they notice plot development and they notice when a setting is described. Like I got to tell you, when I read the opening pages of their eyes were watching God that, that opening page still blows me away because it is one of the most perfect uses of personification I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And it was, it was just astounding, but that's what good readers do. But also good readers are like, you know what? I'm going to read 15 pages today. Like that's a good reader goal. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, I, I will say that in my on-level classes, it sometimes it takes it a little longer. So that's why that kind of almost giving them their goal at the beginning works more like a crutch for them, if you will, kind of a place where they're at least in the in participating in this idea of thinking about what does a reader think about, what does a writer think about. Uh, I noticed that in my uh, honors classes, uh, those kids can just take it and start, and they just go, and they find this really cool. I, actually, with my honors classes, I get a lot of students that'll go, oh, this is really helpful. I'm so glad we're doing this. I mean, I can't, I get a lot of that, especially at the beginning of the year, uh, when they're like, this is really helpful to me. And what it does is it gives them structure, so it gives them an anchor, if you will, where they can they know that they can go and turn and to this book, and they can look back over what we did, what did we miss, uh, things like that. So it gives them some security. 
uh, but it gives them a structure that is very similar. But yet, it's broad enough that this that we, even as teachers or as students, can make it whatever we need it to be. So right. I think it's narrow yet broad. Yeah, and you know, for the I'll, I'll echo that too. Like my honors kids and the kids who are you know just the like they they love school or they're good at school and they're readers and all that other stuff. That uh, they really do love the system because it. They, they connect to the freedom. They connect to kind of how it builds. And for my on-level students or my, for even my struggling readers, what I found that I kind of – that an extra step I need to do is – because a lot of them just don't have confidence in reading and writing. And a lot right. of them lack like – happy reading experiences. Like the only thing they've ever, they've been shoved on computers and crappy programs and they hate reading by the time they get to us. So we're fighting an uphill battle. But what I've done repeatedly is kind of point back to their craft book and all the thinking they've done and, and highlight all this stuff that they're doing. So like, if you have a kid that's really struggling and hating your class, 15 mini lessons in sit with them and go through this mini lesson book. and like, man, you're killing it right here. Like, look at how much you wrote. You're saying this, Oh, this is a great observation. Like it really becomes a, for a lot of struggling kids, I have found that the craft book, what it does for them is it serves as a record because they're no longer just turning in work and then it vanishes into your grade book, which vanishes into the recycling bin, right? Like it becomes right. something that actually lives with them. And so they can see like, man, look at what you did. Like this left page, you wrote one sentence on day four of this class. We're two months in and look how much you're writing now, like on this left, like how well you're reflecting. Like it, it gives you a way to show concrete evidence for the kid and then you start seeing their confidence build kind of based on just this system of mini lesson work, mini lesson work, mini lesson work. And what's best is it's authentic. You're not, there's no worksheets. There's no, uh, it, it, there's no just like systematic approach. It's all their thinking and what mini lesson you're giving them. And I'm like, what, what better way to give a kid confidence than to show them, Hey, this is how much you've grown in 30 days. Well, and you know, Jacob, even if I have students that where they have IEPs that say, um, which is an instructional plan that they have to follow due to some sort of uh, learning disability, for those of you who don't, you know, some people might not know what that means. I don't know how it looks around the world, but uh, where some of them say they have to be given handwritten notes, but I have them go ahead and hand write most of the time whether that they can read it or not and then you know that notebook that I've already kept then I just copy it and then give it to them after they've already practiced and then they can they can paste that in there even if it's on the left side or whatever so those are some things that I've done uh, even with students that have dis disabilities and difficulties but I, I still have them keep the notebook and it it does it really does they'll, they'll say uh I think encourage, encourages them because of all the work. They'll sit there and they'll go, Ms. Ochoa, I need another book, you know, because I've already used this whole book up and it's not even the first semester. So a lot of times on, even if that's the, that usually that happens with the draft book, but still it, they can look back and see all the work that they've done and it does build confidence, but because all of their work and they, they even go back and use it as resources, and they'll go back and look at it. Uh, other things that I keep in there is I keep a, a reading log where they kind of record what they've read. And I I kind of, you know, that 
the page where they record, this is what I've read, this is what I've abandoned, this is how long it took to read it, uh, those kinds of things are in there as well. And so if you keep and going, if you keep going back as a teacher, uh, even if you don't, if they don't do it personally, but if you do it as a teacher, let's all look at lesson, you said 33. Let's all look at lesson 33 today. Remember, let's see what we learned. Okay, what can what did we learn from that lesson that we can apply to today when you're reading? So, I mean, you can go back and forth. And the more you interact as a, in your classroom with these books, the more the kids will keep them. I, I have very few kids that lose these books because they become something that they really use. And it's a resource. And then I usually don't have any at the end of the year uh, to show as models because they all take them with them. That's something that I've I've learned too over the years. The more authentic it is, the more they don't want you to have it. <laughs> They're like, no, this is mine. So it's kind of neat. Well, and I think that is a perfect way to close out our conversation on craft books. Hopefully, you know, this is, is helpful for some of you. I know it's it's words flying at you, but hopefully you had your notebook out and you were doing this. You know, if you need uh, some type of demonstration, DM uh, us at uh, the, the Facebook page or wherever. Um, you can find me at all my Teach Me Teacher spots if you would like to, but we can we can help guide you. But, you know, experiment with it. Have fun with it. But, you know, I think if you follow just the model of what we talked about in here, I think you're going to see some success. And then hopefully we can even add more boon to this when the book comes out and we can give you some hardcore uh, uh, workshop format to kind of go through this with us. And hopefully COVID goes away and we can do some trainings across the U.S. and, right. and abroad and we can do some amazing stuff step to help you guys do this. But for everything else, ladies and gentlemen, go to craftanddraftworkshop.com. You can find every episode we've ever done. If you listen to this on a podcast app, hit subscribe, leave a review. If you don't want to leave a review, you can just hit that star button. Those star buttons really does help this podcast grow. I know we are growing slowly, but surely those downloads are going up. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for sharing this podcast for other literacy-minded educators. Come back next week. We're going to talk about the draft book, which is the ultimate free book, in my opinion. And then we're going to talk about how all of these connect. They're not disjointed. They're this part of the system is how they intermingle and how they support each other. So stick around. There is more to happen on this podcast. I hope you are safe. I hope you're enjoying 2021. And know that we are here for you. <laughs>